dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation facing a great danger, at least according to the consensus of public and expert opinion. Uh, the idea that we would default on money that Congress has already spent, that already owes because of a debt ceiling increase that Congress is uh, maybe going to be unable to put through. If that's the case, uh, then there seems to be from both conservative and liberal uh, economists a conclusion that there would be catastrophic consequences for the economy. Is that true? And uh, what about catastrophic consequences politically? If Republicans go through with a plan, apparently as part of the deal to get Kevin McCarthy as our speaker, if Republicans go through with a plan to have a, an up and down vote on a fair tax, a fair tax uh, would replace our a muddled income tax system with a national sales tax. Uh, a great idea. Well, getting rid of the current tax system is a good idea, but replacing it with the national sales tax. Grover Norquist of Americans for Tax Reform says that is uh, not only a terrible idea in terms of increasing the size and funding for government generally, but it uh, is actually political suicide. Uh, Grover Norquist, who is uh, uh, an old friend, has written on this subject. He has an upcoming piece in The Atlantic on that. He is the president of Americans for Tax Reform. He has been fighting the good fight for a more sensible and more modest tax system for a very long time. Uh, Grover, first of all, why is it that you're so strongly opposed to actually forcing a vote on the idea of a fair tax? Well, if you are in a Republican plus 20 district, people will understand that if you say, I'm for the fair tax, you mean I really don't like the income tax, and I really don't like the intrusiveness of the IRS, and I, I just want them gone, okay? Uh, but they don't listen to the second half of what's in the legislation. Uh, and the legislation would then give you a 30%, some say more, uh, sales tax because you exclude some things from it. There is no 30% sales tax in the world or the universe today because if there was, uh, people would be buying all of their uh, goods about three blocks out from Walmart and Costco and Target out of the backs of trucks. Uh, and then you'd have to have a police force to, not, to go after that. So you don't get rid of the IRS, you just rename them and put them in a different place to catch taxpayers. There's no pleasant way to seize 25% of the income of the American people uh, without them trying to do something about it. Uh, the other challenge is that in order to uh, answer the question of what do you do for low-income people, if you make everything they buy 30% more expensive, uh, we will send a check to everybody. We will have a basic, uh, a, a uni universal basic uh, income for everyone, and then we'll tax it away uh, with the 30%, and uh, therefore young, uh, poor people will pay nothing uh, uh, because it, they, they get this $5,000 thingy. So there's 
a real challenge. You create the universal basic income, which is what the left wants to do. In every election, the left will say, let's make it 6000 7000 8000 9000 And what will the Republicans say uh, when that becomes the campaign issue? Uh, and you don't really get rid of the intrusiveness of the IRS. You just change its name. And you don't save a penny for taxpayers. They plan to spend and tax every single dollar that's presently taken from you. They're just going to take it from you when you spend it rather than you earn it. And the clincher for people who follow politics is if you're 21 years old, it doesn't matter too much whether they tax you when you save it or tax you, tax you when you earn it or tax you when you spend it. But if you're 65 and you're retired and you spend your life paying the income tax, now they say, if I got a deal for you, no more income tax. Well, I'm not actually making income anymore. Well, well here's what we're doing. Your life savings is now worth 30% less because we're going to put a 30% price tag on everything you buy in your retirement. So your $300,000 life savings is now 200000 Basically, with all of this going on, there's kind of an obvious question. Is what kind of strategy is it to force a vote on a, a fair tax when, uh, and I know you believe this, that flat tax proposals, uh, such as proposals that have been working in countries around the world, and in, what is it, as seven or eight or nine states already so far have uh, flat tax for income tax, that's a much more viable proposal, isn't it? Uh, it is, and the good news is, just as you were saying, there are um, eight states in the United States that have no income tax. That's zero. That's a flat rate tax. The flat rate's zero. Uh, and then we have nine states that have a flat rate tax that's something other than zero, five, you know, uh, less than 5% in Illinois, which is why Illinois' income tax is not that high, because the advantage of a flat rate tax is not that it's fair. Taxation is taking money from people who earned it and giving it to people who perhaps didn't. Fairness is not part of it. Uh, but what it is, is it's difficult to raise a single rate tax because the governor and the legislature have to look everybody in the state in the eye and say, I'm raising all your taxes. Get ready. And it's for this really good thing. And everyone goes, we're listening. It better be really good. And the answer is single rate taxes, states with single rate taxes, either zero or uh, three, four, or five, uh, have significantly lower spending than states with graduated income taxes where they can hide who pays the bills. The other idea of a flat tax, of course, is some of the of the complications, some of the the tedious paperwork that is involved with our tax system right now it could become much simpler, no? Well, it can, because if your tax rate is not 40%, but 28 or 15, uh, we had almost a flat rate tax. We had two rates at the end of the Reagan years, 15 and, and 28. Uh, and we could have taken uh, both of those down further over uh, time. There's a lot less interest in cheating when your tax rate is 20% than it is at 50. And uh, a lot less reason to, and a lot, I guess the people who would be hit hard on this would be the accounting industry, because if you have a low-rate tax, a flat tax, uh, you certainly don't need to invest the same amount of time and money 
in uh, tax avoidance. Uh, speaking of tax avoidance, where everybody agrees we're going to have catastrophe avoidance, right, on the debt ceiling, that sooner or later they'll figure out a way to, uh, to pass the debt ceiling to avoid a default by the United States. Grover, you agree, just very briefly before we go to a break, you agree, don't you, that we should uh, try to avoid any form of default? Oh, yes, absolutely. We always have, every single time. Uh, we will again. The question is whether we can get the president to slow down some of his spending as part of the deal. Yes, uh, and the president so far, I think he varied his line a little bit yesterday. He had been saying no negotiation, there's nothing to talk about, we won't talk at all. And he's saying now he he d isn't averse to talking about spending cuts. He just don't, doesn't want them tied to raising of the debt ceiling. We'll be right back about why this issue uh, is so significant and people are so worried about it. And we'll get the perspective, always astute and enlightening, of uh, Grover Norquist, the president for many years of Americans for Tax Reform. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. And we will be right back with the one and only Grover Norquist. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. of some of the costs of a state income tax. It's the kind of tax that uh, Grover Norquist has dedicated his whole productive life to fighting. And uh, Grover, there's a contradictory set of uh, compelling uh, requirements in this particular moment in our history. One requirement is to get some kind of consensus and to pass a, a, an increase in the debt ceiling. Uh, the, the other compelling interest is to try to spend less so we don't continue building up this $31 trillion debt more and more and more and more and more. So how should this work out with the confrontation between a president who says, no, he he can't afford to lower spending at all right now. And uh, Republicans who then threaten not to pass the increase in the debt ceiling, which would have all kinds of dire economic consequences. How do you basically get the two sides together on this issue? I think we do exactly what we did when we faced the same challenge when 
uh, Obama was president. Obama wanted a $2 trillion increase in the debt ceiling. Uh, and Boehner, the Republican speaker, said, okay, we'll do that for you, but here's what we need. We need $2 trillion in reduced spending from what you were planning to spend in the next 10 years. So $200 billion a year down, not, you know, from... Uh, from what you're spending today, but from what you were planning to spend. Take a look at the, the planned spending, drop it by $2 trillion. That is, after all this, they, they said the world will end and you're being unfair. 60% of the time we've increased the debt ceiling, there have been uh, things added to it. It's more likely that they have things attached to it than that they'd be quote unquote clean. So when they say we always have clean, that's just not true. Uh, and the Democrats insist on it when they run Congress and the Republicans insist on it when they run Congress. So this has been done before many, many times. Uh, what we did do with uh, Obama is that he agreed to cut spending by $2 trillion over 10 years. They had a sequester to guarantee that. We saved the money we said we were going to. We took down significant spending. The world did not end. The world did well. Uh, what we do need to do is have a House capable of agreeing, 218 Republican members, on what that would look like, and then simply pass it. The danger we have is that the five people who wouldn't vote for McCarthy because they didn't like him um, might decide, oh, well, you only want two trillion. We want four, and therefore we're more conservative than you and your rhinos. Well, we, we can't get the vote for four. The Senate won't vote for four. The president would veto four, but we, may, we can get two. No, we're not interested in what we can do. We're interested in being more conservative than you. Um, if that happens, then everything collapses. It goes to the Senate. The Senate will cut a deal, and they'll come back, and they'll find five Republicans to vote with the Democrats to pass this. So it can go swing from significant spending restraint if 218 Republicans can agree to nothing uh, if, in point of fact, we can't get 218 Republicans to agree. If you don't have 218 in the House, you have nothing. Well, again, by the way, this is the most intelligent commentary I have heard anywhere to, to date on, on this dilemma. And uh, I, I agree with you on all essentials. The, the only uh, problem here is that they don't seem to be focusing on it right now. And last time, part of what went wrong and led to uh, downgrading, uh, thank God it was temporary, of the U.S. credit worthiness uh, and, and all kinds of panic, it did not seem to help the Republican cause uh, to even get that uh, $200 billion a year reductions that, uh, that you talked about, Grover. What I wonder about is, do you think McCarthy has the ability to actually get this done in a timely manner so that we don't have this this breathless literally last hours kind of desperation that was part of the character what characterized the decision in 2011 yeah uh, McCarthy can do it just as Boehner did it what we do need is a uh, house uh, and again there are 20 members who are willing to vote with the Democrats for 14 votes in a row. They voted with all the Democrats and 20 Republicans, uh, which is sort of the, uh, the combination of people who think they're on TV instead of you know, in a reality show rather than congressmen. They, they like to emote, uh, but not necessarily 
cut taxes and cut spending. And then the 15 who are in a hurry and want to do everything today, and I understand that, but they can only go so fast as 218 Republicans in the House go uh, and the Senate, which, again, the Republicans don't control uh, the Senate. We do have 41 votes to filibuster the Senate. So Mitch McConnell is playing with live ammunition. He can stop things. He can insist on certain things. And he has a pretty good idea of a sense of what can be insisted on. Uh, And then this president, as with the last one, doesn't need this to be a problem for him going forward. He, you know, take the budget cuts and move on. And uh, um, uh, again, the question is timing. I, I think that the consensus now is that uh, they run out of the tricks and gamesmanship because we've already bumped up against the debt ceiling so far. It, it happened yesterday. And uh, do you agree that uh, we're okay between now and June? Yeah, it's usually been about that long that you can fiddle it. And and even when they say June, there's a little bit more leeway than that, but not necessarily a whole bunch. There is a point at which there is no more uh, maneuvering. Uh, But by June gives us plenty of time to get this done. Uh, I remember when we were doing this in 2011, the screaming from the establishment that the world was going to end and they were going to cancel. And at the end of the day, we came to a very reasonable agreement. It didn't solve all the world's problems, but the debt is $2 trillion less today than it would have been if we hadn't done that. So that was worth the candle. And where in particular do you think it's uh, most uh, intelligent and constructive to cut spending? I think you start with all of the money that's been appropriated and not yet spent. Uh, Money, we still have money from COVID that hasn't been spent, the $2 trillion that they put up in the first two years because that was an emergency. We don't have time to think about it. Just hurry up and vote. We need the two trillion. Much of that is not yet spent. It's not not committed. That could be put back in. A bunch of the infrastructure money could be put back in uh, for until we can afford it. Uh, so that just starts, and that's and that's not cutting anything that's presently spent. Then when you get to uh, the Pentagon, if you went back to the number of civilian employees. Uh, as, a, as a percentage of the armed forces that we had, you know, during during the Cold War, yeah, all, all, as, all sensible regulations and uh, uh, recommendations, and uh, you can read the latest from Grover coming out in Atlantic. Grover Norquist, Americans for Tax Reform. We'll be right back. Michael Medved. I'm listening to everything you say. And on the Michael Medved show, President uh, Biden was in California yesterday, and uh, he was in California to join Governor Newsom, who himself, of course, has his own presidential dreams. After all, he's governor of the nation's most populous state. And... uh, With uh, President Biden, he was asked about the classified documents that were found in his premises, both in his home and in the office he maintained for several years after he was vice president at the uh, Biden Center of University of Pennsylvania, which is actually not in Pennsylvania, it's in Washington, D.C. 
Um, President Biden had this to say, this is clip six, about the classified documents. As we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. Okay, to say he has no regrets, how can you have no regrets? He may be unknowingly to him, uh because of some mistakes of staff members or maybe some mistakes the president himself made, he broke the rules. He broke the law. And those documents are not supposed to be in his garage next to his Corvette. They certainly aren't supposed to be in the Biden Center and uh, the of, of the University of Pennsylvania in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're supposed to be in the National Archives, which presumably is where they are now. President Trump was worried yesterday that the documents might be damp and wet because he was used to garages, even those with nifty Corvettes nearby or ensconced therein. He's used to garages that are damp and wet on the floor. The idea that there are these twin problems for the former president, for the current president, and the insistence uh, on both parts, both of them say that what my rival said and did on the documents is horrible, it's horrible, it's criminal, it's uh, incomprehensible, and at the same time I've done nothing wrong. This is not going to be viable. And I do think that it's a situation that uh, will help encourage other people, uh, not named Donald Trump and not named Joe Biden, to seek the office of president. Now, one of the names that keeps coming up is uh, Nikki Haley, the former U.N. ambassador under President Trump, uh, former governor of South Carolina, two terms, very successful, uh, very fine communicator. And she was asked on Fox News with Brett Baer, she was asked the inevitable question that people ask all the time, are you thinking of running in 2024? Here's what Nikki Haley had to say. We are in the new year. How are those tea leaves looking? Are you going to run for president? Well, I'm not going to make an announcement here, but when you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? The second question is, am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. I was as governor. I took on a hurting state with double-digit unemployment, and we made it the beast of the Southeast. As ambassador, um, you know, I took on the world when they tried to disrespect us, and I think I showed what I'm capable of at the United Nations. So do I think I could be that leader? Yes, but we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost to race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now, but stay tuned. Doesn't that sound pretty close to yes? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it does. And what's interesting about this is uh, she has changed her tune earlier at the time that she was on this show um, a couple of months ago. 
and promoting her most recent book, which was a big success. Uh, she, not Michelle Obama-sized success. I mean, Michelle Obama and her books, her book now about uh, uh, helping with the light or healing with the light is a, an, another top of the bestseller list triumph, uh, which, by the way, probably uh, feeds some of those democratic dreams that, oh boy, can't we get Michelle to run? And the answer there pretty much is no. What you just heard from Nikki Haley, you will not hear from Michelle Obama. She really doesn't want to do it. And it sounds like Nikki Haley really does. But uh, she formerly had said that uh, she wouldn't run if uh, Trump ran. And uh, the fact that Trump is a candidate and she doesn't bring up her previous statement and say, well, wait, I said I wouldn't run if uh, Trump was running, and right now he's running. Uh, do Does it seem likely that with all of his other legal struggles, and there are many, many of them, including the, the uh, very difficult to believe uh, and to credit a charge of rape against him by Eugene Carroll, I mean... Yeah, that's in courtrooms now. And the the entire idea that uh, Trump, having committed himself to run, will pull out anytime soon, I think is most unlikely. Uh, I'll tell you something else that is unlikely, which is to... Uh, uh, to <laughs> to actually uh, see uh, some folks on the left uh, developing conspiracy theories about Alec Baldwin. And look, I'm not one of those people, I don't believe that uh, it's going to be an open and shut case with Alec Baldwin, who is going to be facing uh, two charges of manslaughter in uh, the deaths on the movie set where he fired a gun thinking it was blanks and it wasn't, it was real bullets and uh, a cinematographer died. In any event, Joy Behar on The View uh, had sympathy and support for Alec Baldwin. I'm not sure it's the kind that he actually needs. This is clip nine. You know, the, the DA who uh, is, is indicting him, or whatever the legal term is right now, mm -hmm. she, she's a big Republican. I'm only saying this because Alec Baldwin is a target for Republicans. They cannot stand him. Okay? Uh, I'm just saying. Doctor, but I'm not saying anything more than that. Okay, I'm not saying anything more than that. Remember, she is also uh, the the individual who when it first came out that uh, Joe Biden had a problem with a bunch of documents and she suggested that uh, actually uh, you had to consider that some Republican planted those documents. And you think about how bizarre that is. Uh, again, yes, Watergate was bizarre too. I mean, in Watergate there were uh, people sent by Republicans to plant listening devices and perhaps to steal papers and records from a break-in at the Democratic uh, National Committee headquarters. That's pretty bizarre and hard to think, but think about what it would mean to get people, Republicans now, recently, to uh, go into an office that Biden hasn't owned or occupied 
uh, for some years and uh, to try with a sitting president to implicate him by planting documents that are illegal for them to have and to plant anyway. It's uh, very far-fetched, but conspiracy theories uh, spring eternal. Now, what's the story with the conspiracy theory with the uh, latest uh, musical contribution at Davos, the World Economic Forum? If these are the guys who are waiting for musical inspiration to save the world, well, we'll listen and you'll hear what I mean. Coming up. The Michael Medved Show. MichaelMedved.com. Anybody listening? Hear me out there. The Michael Medved Show. Let me say it again. The Michael Medved Show. Better pay attention. Uh, that was uh, Senator Robert Byrd. <laughs> you remember him? He uh, continued serving in the U.S. Senate till he was extremely elderly, and maybe um, a, a, in that sense a harbinger of uh, things to come. With uh, an elderly president, he's 80, and uh, his chief rival is uh, up there 77 now. And uh, and then again, Senator Dianne Feinstein we have, who is 89 and apparently still considering going for yet another term. Uh, they are also meeting in Davos in Switzerland, and uh, that gives occasion for one of our periodic uh, Medved music reviews. The Michael Medved Music Review. Covering the creative geniuses whose timeless artistry can move us, inspire us, and enrich our lives. It's time for the Michael Medved Music Review. And today at Davos, the world elites who are trying to solve climate change and inflation and uh, economic energy shortages and uh, you name it, they took a break with a um, musical entertainment that was supposed to raise the spirits of all of the participants. And... Uh, Therefore, they had what is called an, an invisible flute folk jam. Now, why is the flute invisible? Because it's actually a woman performer who is trying to mimic the sound of a flute with her voice uh, together with a guy playing acoustic guitar. And uh, then they sing in, in various languages because this is, after all, an international gathering. Listen. Like a flower or tree I'll throw my head back and see I see, I see. 
book, it's uh, it's different. It's original. It gets your attention. And uh, does it sound a, a great deal like a flute? Uh, no, but um, <laughs> I suspect, uh, I'm not sure exactly how that comports with uh, some of the themes of Davos, but uh, uh, I, I would have to say that uh, uh, this is the kind of musical performance that indicates that uh, we we may not uh, go down in history this moment uh, in the world as creating timeless musical masterpieces. It's breathtaking. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, there's there's something of that. There's also, uh, today is um, the 93rd birthday of a distinguished American. His name is uh, Buzz Aldrin. And 49 minutes after Neil Armstrong set foot on the lunar surface, and yes, Americans are still talking about going back there. Uh, and he said that's one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind. Uh, right after Neil Armstrong did that, his uh, crewmate, uh, ex-colleague, Buzz Aldrin, conducted a series of mobility tests to determine the best ways for astronauts to get around on the lunar service, uh, surface. And his uh, walkabout was witnessed on live TV. And here is some of the audio from that broadcast on July 20th, 1969. Okay, he's continued to be uh, lively and uh, in, opinionated and informed, uh, and he's 93 today. And it's a good occasion to remember something that happened uh, 20 years ago, actually 21 years ago, because it was 2002, uh, when uh, uh, Aldrin was already in his 70s, and he was at a hotel, he was doing a public appearance, and a stranger uh, came up to him and uh, confronted him with that crazy idea, that cockamamie idea, that the moon landing was faked, that uh, nobody actually went to the moon. And uh, this is what that confrontation uh, sounded like and listen for the punch which you can hear at the very end of this exchange. Listen. Come with me, Buzz. You really like your video? You're the one who said you walked on the moon when you didn't. Calling the kettle black if I ever thought of it. Saying Will I you misrepresented get myself. away from me? You're a coward and a liar and a thief. 
Okay, uh, and uh, 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 Aldrin, who is an American hero, uh, <laughs> let him have it. And a thief, um, and a thief, and a thief, and a thief. How? Uh, it's, uh, it, it is so bizarre to me that that people can think through and and actually believe that the moon landing was faked the the question that has always seemed to me to be most relevant to that was if you believe the moon landing was faked why didn't the russians say so and you could say well because nobody would have believed them well, yes, you're right. Nobody would believe them. But they wouldn't have believed them because there was such good evidence like the television transmissions. And and it was also it, for people to imagine that back in 1969, when the, uh, the moon landings, uh, first moon landings occurred, that uh, we were in the midst of a very very bitter cold war which uh, had fateful consequences for the United States and uh, the Russians were not happy that we had beaten them to the moon that we had won the space race we had fulfilled John Kennedy's prediction and his target and if they had uh, any attention to what the United States was doing, and of course they had tremendous attention, big intelligence apparatus, they would have come forward with any basis they possibly could gather about a, a fraudulent moon landing, how terrible that would make America look. And that is part of the problem with so many conspiracies. They come out of a place of America hatred, they come from a place of uh, a diminution of any confidence or any faith at all of, of any institutions or functioning in our country. There's a piece by David French that I want to get to, and it's a really profound piece. And uh, he begins it by saying, uh, I'm going to start with a, a both sides trigger warning. This uh, essay is going to describe a profound problem that is emanating from both left and right, the demolition of the American spirit. It's a phenomenon that combines the accurate diagnosis of real problems with the fabrication or exaggeration of additional crises to create a profound loss of confidence or even contempt for this nation we love. We will get to that. There are also a bunch of movies, uh, one of them quite extraordinary, to, we're going to be reviewing. When You Finish Saving the World is one with Julianne Moore, uh, The Sun with Hugh Jackman, and Dog Gone, uh, starring a very uh, compelling, I think he's mostly Golden Retriever dog, and Rob Lowe. That and more coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.